I think telling interesting stories about how we come to know what we know about the natural world and what the future might look like because of the ways that we are changing that natural world is an important job for a journalist. Environmental reporter Carolyn Beeler on this special edition of In Contrast. I'm Ilan Stavans, and In Contrast is a production of New England Public Radio and Quixote Productions. Carolyn Peeler is an environmental reporter for the public radio international program, The World. Her reporting focuses on stories about people and places impacted by global climate change. She recently returned from a reporting assignment in Antarctica. Carolyn joined us from the studios of The World at WGBH in Boston. We'll begin with a recent feature report that she did on a trip to the Thwaites Glacier. Penguins in Antarctica. The world's Carolyn Beeler recorded them there recently. During an epic trip, she went on to parts of the massive Thwaites Glacier no one's ever seen up close before. Thwaites is the size of Florida, and it's melting fast. It could add two feet to global sea levels within a century, and that's why scientists are racing to study it. So Carolyn joined a bunch of them on an expedition to Thwaites. Today, the first of her exclusive stories from Antarctica. So I've wanted to report from Antarctica for about 10 years. And I spent months researching and planning this trip to Thwaites. So when one of my sources that I was talking to, Karen Haywood from the University of East Anglia, told me just a couple days before I left. I would say there's only about a 50% chance of getting to Thwaites. That the sea in front of Thwaites is usually covered over in ice. It's going to be hit and miss whether whether you are able to get there. My uh, reaction in real time was much more tempered. So I have to admit, my heart just sunk a little bit. But in the back of my head, I was going, oh, crap. <laughs> and so with her warning that nothing ever goes according to plan in Antarctica, I got on the ship anyway. The Nathaniel B. Palmer, the icebreaker ship that we were on, um, is docked in Punta Arenas at the very southern tip of Chile. It's a massive ship, and when it's in port, it feels like a floating college dorm. You walk down the hallways, and it's fluorescent lights and, like, green linoleum. and Then it feels a little bit like the first day of freshman year of college when you're moving into your dorm. The first day or so, we sail through the Magellan Strait, which is the islands at the very southern tip of South America. But then pretty quickly, we get into the Drake Passage. This is what the Drake Passage sounds like. Here's where we are in a circle around the globe. There'll be no land to interrupt the weather or the wind. So these are some of the roughest seas in the world. So it's a week into the trip, and I'm sitting at my workspace, this desk in a computer lab. And I can hear the office chairs in this room uh, roll from one side of the lab to the other as the ship rolls back and forth, port to starboard, port to starboard. And suddenly there's this really huge roll, this really big wave, and... My chair gets knocked over by this wave, and I land and crack my head on the floor. Yeah, I'm just going to wait a minute to stand up. (laughs) 
As I lay there on the ground in this computer lab, I'm thinking about how powerful this ocean underneath me is. And, and then I start thinking about how this is the same ocean that's melting this glacier we're heading toward. And that's the force we're working with here. Sound in real life. Okay. Um, so, so, I mean, there's a bit of a hum. There's, there's no, you, no gonna... quiet place. <laughs> the scientist who is at the head of this expedition is Rob Larder. Okay, my name is Rob Larter. I'm a marine geophysicist at the British Antarctic Survey and have been. And he's been studying glaciers in Antarctica for longer than some of the people on the ship have been alive. The, the, the main factor that's driving the retreat of, of Thwaites Glacier is incursion of relatively warm water onto the continental shelf. And toward the beginning of the trip, he tells me about this warm water that's getting pushed up to Thwaites. So the warm water gets under the ice shelf and melts the ice shelf. So what you need to understand is that most of Thwaites Glacier sits on land, sits on the continent of Antarctica. But a little lip extends off land and into the sea. That's called the ice shelf. And it works like a cork in a wine bottle, keeping all the land-based ice behind it, stretching back for hundreds of miles from flowing into the sea. That's because even though it's floating, parts of it get stuck on these high points on the seafloor. That locks the shelf in place and makes it act like a cork or a set of brakes. And because the ice shelf is thinning, this is putting less of a break on the flow of the glacier, so it starts flowing faster and, and delivering more ice to the ocean. So if this glacier collapses, which, you know, scientists think it could or it will, eventually that entire Mexico-sized piece of ice would also collapse. And that would lead to something like 11 feet of global sea level rise. That's why we're worried about this thing. Uh, but I don't think everybody is convinced that it is necessarily in inevitable at the moment. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot we don't know about Thwaites Lesser, and that's why it's worth doing this research. Are you convinced that it's inevitable? I I'm keeping an open mind. I mean, I, I, think, I think I hope it's not as bad as some of us fear it is, because, you know, I I've got teenage children, and uh, I'd like them to live in a world where... it. It's not a really disaster scenario, but uh, the outlook for Thwaites is, is, is not very good. It's just right here. We're like maybe yeah, 200 meters close. away from it. It's really close. A day or two after things start to calm down and we're out of the Drake Passage, we Amazing. see our first icebergs. Enough to make a mountain go religious, huh? Everybody runs up to the bridge and just watches them go by for, you know... The whole afternoon, almost. A couple days after we see our first iceberg, we start getting into sea ice. It looks like this vast, frozen, snow-covered prairie is surrounding you. So the ship will sort of rear up its nose and slam this heavy steel bow onto ice to crack it and then sail through this big gash of open water that it's just opened up. By day about eight or nine of the voyage, 
The scientists are starting to keep a really close eye on satellite images of the sea ice near Thwaites. Sorry, I don't know. Where did I put it? To see if we're going to be able to get to the glacier face like we want to. So it confirms what we thought. It's still in the sea ice, but... Right now, you know, it's still frozen in, but there's hope that it'll start thawing and we'll be able to get there. So this is an expedition to a place that people have never been before. There's very little direct observational data about it. So scientists know that what is currently melting Thwaites Glacier is warm ocean water called circumpolar deep water that originates up in the North Atlantic um, and gets moved by changing winds and currents to Antarctica. What they don't know is how much is reaching Thwaites, how warm exactly it is. So it's really hard to know how fast this water is going to melt this piece of ice. Basically, we have no idea what, what, what the ocean looks like there. So what Peter Sheehan, an oceanographer from the University of East Anglia, will be doing on this trip is taking tons of measurements of the water in front of Thwaites Glacier, essentially just measuring temperature and salinity to see how much of this warmer water is there. Which I always think is amazing. Just from, from temperature and salt concentration, you can tell so much about what's going on in the ocean. So we go through the sea ice for a couple of days, and then the plan is to go to the glacier next door to Thwaites to do some research there. And then one day, about three weeks into the trip, oh, this is, this is amazing. everyone just says the sea in front of Thwaites looks as clear of ice as it ever has. So they change the plan, they skip this other glacier, and they start heading straight to Thwaites. And then... The next day, when we're hours away from the destination, just mere hours away from Thwaites, Rob, the chief scientist, makes this announcement. I hope everybody... I I guess the word has got around. We've just turned around. We have to medivac. There's a medical evacuation. The decision has been taken to go to the British Antarctic Survey Rothera Station. So that's going to take us about four days if... I asked Peter Sheehan if he was frustrated by this, and he said, you know, frustrated is not Um, the right word. I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? This isn't our part of the world. And for me, this kind of thing just underlines that, how difficult it is to get here, how difficult it is to understand anything about it at all. So we're, we turn around, we're, we're heading north now. At this point, the research really pauses um, Anna Volen, the Swedish oceanographer, starts bridge club. So it starts off with a big, big face. Um, someone else organizes a ping pong tournament, which actually gets pretty intense. It starts when we are heading north. It continues for the two or three days that we have to wait. And then it actually continues for the four days that we're steaming back south. Our new schedule means that we'll get down there right at the end of when the sea is usually open. The the doubly frustrating thing is that conditions are absolutely fantastic in front of Thwaites for us to work. So it's really this race. It'll be massively frustrating if things have started to close up. We pass the icebergs, we break through sea ice again, and we're scheduled to actually finally arrive at Thwaites. 
around 4 a.m. on day 30 of our journey. So I set my alarm for 4 a.m. and I get out of my bunk and I walk up the four flights of stairs up to the bridge where it's still dark and to my left I see what looks like a giant rectangular iceberg but is actually Thwaites Glacier. We finally made it. Peter works the night shift so he comes up to join me a few minutes after I get up there and we just look at this glowing wall of ice in front of us together. Is this your first glimpse of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen an ice shelf before. Yeah. Almost no one else on the ship is awake yet. And we're in a place that no one's ever been before. Maybe it's the, the light. It looks kind of mystical. It feels almost like it's our own secret place. This kind of sacred spot. I'm whispering and I don't know why. <laughs> it's like standing in a cathedral. Where you, know, you feel the hush of reverence. As it gets light, everyone on the ship starts waking up and streaming up to the bridge. And it's sort of this party atmosphere. We've been telling everybody this is where rapid change is really happening and we're, we're actually standing and looking at the bit that's rapidly changing. But then the glacier starts to look different. It's curving down, gradually rolling off down so that the, the actual cliffs are not very high at all. It had been flat and straight, sort of like a butcher block table. And then as we move west, it gets wavy. And I think that, in my experience, that's quite an unusual shape for an ice shelf. And then as we go farther, it looks like kind of like a pile of boulders with a thick mat of snow on top. So... You know, what started as this sort of joyous, celebratory day turns into something that's a little bit more somber because you can really see what's happening down here. Uh, there's some processes happening here that are rapidly thinning the ice shelf towards its edge, towards its front. And this part of the glacier that we're staring at that looks nothing like it's supposed to look, this is the part that acts like a wine cork keeping all the ice stretching hundreds of miles in front of us from flowing into the sea. This is the part that's holding back around 11 feet of sea level rise. So the the messy ice front that we're seeing, are you surprised that this is how this looks? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'd seen the satellite images, but uh, I don't think it really conveys just how chaotic it's going to appear visually until you see it. One of the scientists described seeing Thwaites like seeing an old friend who looks sick. You can't tell if it's a cold or something much more serious until they go to the doctor, get a bunch of tests. It's the same for this glacier. This lumpy, deformed face looks bad, but we don't know exactly what that means yet. These scientists will spend weeks running the test to start finding out, measuring the warm water in front of the glacier, looking at the seafloor under it to read into its past. To try to tell just how sick this glacier is and what that'll mean for all of us.
For The World, I'm Carolyn Beeler. Carolyn Beeler, it's a pleasure to have you here in In Contrast. Thanks for having me. You just came back from West Antarctica, where you saw with your own eyes what is happening with this massive glacier, the Thwaites Glacier. And I would love to hear your impressions. It was really an incredible experience. It took us almost a month to get down to the face of the glacier after some research done on the way and some delays. So there was a lot of anticipation to actually see this glacier that the scientists I was with had been waiting so long to study. And when we arrived, it was around 4 a.m. in the morning. It was dark and snowy, and the captain was using a spotlight to navigate along this wall of ice that was Thwaites Glacier, where it juts off of land and meets the sea. And it looked sort of tall and imposing to me at first glance, but pretty quickly as other scientists on the ship that I was on woke up and saw this ice shelf, as it's called, they noticed that this glacier did not look like it was supposed to look or how ice shelves generally look. It looked very much like it was in the middle of collapse. So it was uh, pretty surprising to most of the scientists down there, even though they're the experts on this kind of thing. The mood in the ship, the scientists looking at this, the very same moment that you are in experiencing that sense of both exhilaration, they are in front of it, but also frustration, what is happening. Can you describe them to us? Yeah, so this was a research ship which had almost 60 people on it, and around two dozen of them were scientists. And as I said, this is the kind of trip you plan or these scientists plan for years to go on. Some of them had been looking at data and satellite images of Thwaites for something like a decade before coming down. And so everyone was really excited to finally be able to sail across the length of the front of the glacier, which no one had ever done before because it had been inaccessible, had been iced in previously. So there was a lot of excitement about finally seeing this place that there was so much anticipation patient to see. But like I said, it didn't look like experienced scientists expected to look. It was not this sheer tall cliff of ice. It was sort of wavy and jumbled up. It looked like a bunch of icebergs that had broken off and then frozen back together, which is a sign of the instability of this glacier. So I think it was surprising. And the scientists told me we don't know exactly what this means. You can't decipher the health of a glacier just by looking at it. It'll take study and time. But it was definitely a very sobering end to what had been a pretty exciting day in the beginning, right? So there was a bit of a shift as scientists realized exactly how degraded this glacier looked. At one point in your reporting, there is a quote from one of the scientists that describes the glacier or the experience of looking at it early in the morning as if it was a cathedral. There's something religious, almost mystical in that observation. Did you sense that as well? Absolutely. That was around four in the morning when there was almost no one up yet. And I was standing there on the bridge of the ship looking at this glacier with this oceanographer, a young oceanographer who'd never been to Antarctica before. And the light was this very mystical, sort of strange, ethereal color of blue because it was foggy and the sun hadn't risen yet. And it felt very mystical and almost religious. So we found ourselves speaking to each other in whispers and we didn't really know why, but it was sort of this respect, this hush of reverence. So that moment came with a lot of meaning for everyone who was able to see this glacier. 
The fear one gathers when listening to your extraordinary reporting is that the warm waters are dismantling the walls of the glacier, and that this is possibly going to have a domino effect on the larger area of Antarctica. How close are the scientists to being able to offer concrete? Evidence that climate change, the warming of the waters, is accelerating the dismantling of the wall of this particular glacier, and that changes should be made to parts of the world in order to respond to the growing of the ocean waters. There has been some research over the past couple of decades looking at the instability of this part of the world, but it's mostly been remote sensing, so satellite imagery and other types of modeling. And this fieldwork that I was covering is the first part of a five-year research expedition to get better on the ground, hands-on data of what's happening in West Antarctica and to Thwaites Glacier. And there are already models that suggest that the collapse of Thwaites is inevitable, but there are also scientists who say we don't know that for sure yet. So there is a big knowledge gap and there is a big gap in predictions for sea level rise by the end of the century, mostly because of this region. So the scientists on this trip hope that in the next five years or so, instead of the National Climate Assessment saying we're going to look at one to four feet of sea level rise by 2100, there will be less uncertainty and that sort of range of sea level rise predictions will be narrowed. So we have a better sense of what the sea level rise will mean. The climate change question is a little complex. So right now, what scientists think is causing the melting of these glaciers is a column, a mass of warm water that is reaching the floating portion of these glaciers. So where the ice juts off of the bedrock of Antarctica and starts floating on the sea, there's a mass of warm water that's reaching those glaciers. Now, scientists have been documenting this there since the 90s. They don't have research going back beyond that. A very popular hypothesis is that this warm water mass is newly being pushed up toward West Antarctica due to changing winds that are linked or may be linked to climate change. But what's causing that and how long that's been happening is one of the research focuses of this five-year research push. Going forward, if there is as much atmospheric warming as there will be, if humans don't decrease drastically their carbon emissions, then a warming atmosphere will be melting this region. So it's definitely a climate change question going forward. And once we know more about what's causing these changing currents in the ocean that it's currently melting weights, we might be able to definitively say it's currently a climate change issue. But I don't think there's any debate that the warmer our Earth is, the more at risk this glacier and this region will be. I want to ask you, Carolyn, about your role as a journalist. There is the sense in us listeners in hearing the narrative that you're offering us of the eyewitness, the extraordinary possibility of arriving to a place that nobody has seen before and seeing it on this verge of collapse or at the very least of a rapid transformation. There is also a segment of your reporting where you cannot go and you send by mail some tape recording so some of the scientists can offer their own insights and narrate in the form of a diary or of a journal what they are experiencing, the heavy winds, the challenges of being totally isolated, waiting for the next airplane. How do you see yourself in these extreme conditions with this cutting-edge scientific expedition as a journalist? What is it that it's the role that you have? How do you articulate it? 
That's a good question. I was there to document and report on what these scientists were doing, what they were finding, and what it might tell us about what our future looks like. I think that climate change is the most important issue of our day. Obviously, there are a lot of really important issues, but this is something that is going to have an even greater impact on generations to come. So I think telling interesting stories about how we come to know what we know about the natural world and what the future might look like because of the ways that we are changing that natural world is an important job for a journalist. And I was there to report objectively and relay the truth of what was happening. And it was a little difficult because there aren't a lot of results from what the scientists found. They can't talk about their findings until they go through the peer review process and publish their findings in journals. So it'll be a while before we know really what they found on this research expedition that I covered and the one that you just mentioned with researchers on the ice. But I think the process and how we learn about the natural world, like I said, is hopefully an interesting story for the people who listen to the show that I work for, The World. Is the expedition over? Are you going back? So the ship-based expedition that I was on this winter, that is over. So that was two months on a ship, and that's over. But this five-year research project goes on for four more years. So there's going to be another cruise, as they call them, next year, and a lot more research on the ice itself. So this year, I sent a tape recorder along with a scientist who is part of a very small advanced team, sort of scouting out locations for field work next year. But there's going to be a lot of scientists actually on the ice in the next couple of years to learn more about a whole bunch of different facets of what the future is going to look like for this place. So four more years of research, and then they hope to have some important results that will help modelers come up with better sea level rise predictions so that city planners and coastal residents can really have a better idea of what the future holds. Well, congratulations on the outstanding work, and thank you for being here in In Contrast. Thank you so much for having me. For previous episodes, including our interviews with authors Barry Lopez, journalist Wesley Lowry and Ray Suarez, and commentators George Will and William Crystal, visit our website at nepr.net. Help spread the word about In Contrast by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, where we invite you to share your comments on this program and others in our series. Our music is by the Fresh Cut Orchestra. Illustrations for In Contrast are by Burns Maxi. The executive producer is John Vosey. I'm Ilan Stavans. Thank you for listening. In Contrast is a production of New England Public Radio and Quixote Productions. Quixote Productions.